0: As the famine spread, so did word that there was grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, What are you waiting for? Go and get us some food before we all starve. So ten of Jacob's sons left Canaan for Egypt, but Jacob kept Benjamin home. Meanwhile, Joseph continued his work of managing the resources he had helped stockpile. And so it came to pass that one day, in a long line of other supplicants, his ten brothers appeared before him. Joseph was stunned. He recognized them immediately, but they did not recognize him. As his brothers bowed to the ground before him, Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed when he was a boy. Where do you come from? Joseph demanded. He did not reveal that he knew them. From the land of Canaan, one brother replied. We want to buy food. Is that the truth? Joseph asked, testing them. For all I know, you could be a bunch of spies. No, his brother insisted. Uh, of course not. We are a family. Look at us. We are, we are brothers. There are 12 of us. The youngest is at home with our father, and we had one brother who is now dead. I don't believe you, Joseph said, for he was unsure of what he should do. And to the brother's bewilderment, Joseph had them put in custody for three days. On the third day, he went to them and said, If you want to live do this. One of you will remain here, the others may go with food for your households, but then you must return to me with your youngest brother, so that I may know you have told the truth, that then you may all go free. The brothers turned to each other, unaware that this Egyptian could understand their native language perfectly. Things work against us, they said because of our guilt for what we did years ago. We have not paid our debt. And Reuben said, didn't I tell you that day with Joseph that that we were going too far? And now his blood cries out against us. Joseph, unable to keep his composure, turned away and, and tears ran down his face. When he turned back to them, he took Simeon and had him bound so that the brothers would know that his threat was serious. The rest were given sacks of grain and provisions for their journey home and Joseph gave orders that the money that they had paid should be secretly returned to their sacks. When the brothers discovered this, they they were afraid and asked, what is God doing with us? Back in Canaan, they told Jacob what had happened. The man who was in charge, he spoke harshly to us and threatened our lives. We we told him we were honest men, that our father and youngest brother awaited our return. He gave us grain and provisions, but, uh, well, he he kept Simeon. He said that if we return with our youngest brother, then we will prove our honesty, and, and we may trade freely in his land. Jacob cried, What are you trying to do to me? Joseph is gone. Now Simeon, and you would give this man Benjamin too? Reuben said, Dad. Trust me, we'll look after Benjamin. Jacob refused, saying, oh, His brother is already dead. If harm came to Benjamin, it would send me to my grave. But when they ran out of food again, Jacob said, Go back to Egypt and buy some more grain. Judah replied, You don't understand. The man told us we have no business with him unless, unless we return with our youngest brother. Why on earth, Jacob fumed, did you even tell him you had another brother? He asked, Judah replied. He asked a lot of questions, actually, about our family, about our home. How could we know what he was thinking? Only just let us go before we and our children all starve. We could have been there and back twice by now. So the brothers, now with Benjamin, returned to Egypt, where, to their surprise, they were invited to dine at Joseph's own home. They were anxious, fearing it was some sort of trap. Simeon was brought out to join them. When Joseph arrived, he questioned them keenly. Is your father well? Is he alive? Yes, they replied, he is. And then Joseph saw Benjamin, the only one among them who was his full brother. Overcome by emotion, he... He left the room abruptly. After he had calmed himself, he asked for the meal to be served, and the brothers looked on at each other in wonder, for the table had been set for them in their own birth order, and Benjamin's portion was the largest, and they ate and drank in Joseph's house. But Joseph tested them one more time. The brothers left loaded up with food and supplies, but hidden in Benjamin's sack, was a silver cup. After the brothers departed, Joseph's men overtook them and demanded to search their bags. Finding the cup, they accused Benjamin of theft. All 11 brothers tore their clothes, reloaded their donkeys, and returned to the city. The man who has stolen from me must remain in Egypt as my servant, Joseph declared. Then we will all stay, Judah said, We cannot return to our father without this boy, for our father will die of grief. Please let me take his place. I will not return without my brother. Joseph could not bear it any longer. He sent all of his servants away, and when they had gone, he wept loudly. Joseph said to his brothers, It's me, Joseph. Please tell me the truth. Is father really alive? His brothers were speechless and afraid. Seeing their fear, Joseph said, It's really me, your brother, who you sold into Egypt years ago. God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. The famine has been two years, but it will last five more. God has given me authority here. He's the one who has sent me from place to place. So, so please, go and bring our father here. I, I can provide for all of you. Tell my father that I am well and prosperous. Hurry and, and bring him here." And then he and Benjamin embraced, and after that, he also embraced each of his brothers. And after that, they talked. The rumor flew through Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. And Pharaoh was pleased. "'They must all come here,' he said. They will have whatever they need, and more, because they are your family. Take wagons, he told the brothers, to to bring back your wives and your children. The best of Egypt will be yours. As his brothers departed for Canaan, Joseph said, Don't fight on the way, okay? When they arrived home, the brothers told Jacob, Joseph is alive and is ruler over all Egypt. Jacob could not believe them until he saw the wagons and the gifts that Joseph had sent. And his spirit was revived. Joseph, my son, is alive, he whispered. I will go.
1: Oh, what a moment that must have been for Joseph. To have the brothers who sold him into slavery suddenly standing in front of him, bowing down to him just as he dreamed so many years ago. For 20-some years, Joseph must have been imagining what this moment would be like, and suddenly here it is. So what will he do? What will he say? How will this story end? Before we go any further, I want to pause for a moment here and just thank the team that has brought this story to life for us so beautifully and so powerfully this summer. Here is our crew. Scott Blaufus is our dramatic storyteller. Megan Blosser is our writer, paraphrasing the scriptures for us. And Santo Werayaman is our videographer. Can we just give them a virtual round of applause for the good work they've done over this summer? In case you're wondering, uh, that, that beautiful spot they've been filming in is actually out by the dumpsters behind our Lexington building. So it's a crazy place to shoot a video, but they have made it work. And so thank you, team, for for good work this summer. But as we try to imagine that moment with Joseph and his brothers, I'd like you to pause for a minute and think about someone who has wronged you somewhere along the way in life. It might have happened recently or maybe a long time ago. They might have done it maliciously or unknowingly, but, but either way, it, it hurt. It's made a negative impact on your life. Take a minute right now. Think of a person who has wronged you somewhere along the way in life. And now imagine that person standing in front of you, not to apologize, but to ask for your help with something. What will you do with that moment? What will you say? Today, as we finish up the Joseph series, I'd like to talk about what may be one of the most difficult and yet most powerful things that human beings can do for one another. Forgive. How do you do that? How do you forgive someone who has hurt you or hurt someone that you love? How do you receive forgiveness? Because that can be difficult as well. And more to the point of this series, how is God with us when it's time to forgive? That's the question we would like to go after here. So we're going to jump right into the story. We're going to have to move a little bit quickly because this portion of the story actually covers nine chapters in the book of Genesis. So uh, let's get started. It's been at least 20 years now since Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. 11 or so years in Potiphar's house as a steward, at least two years in prison, and then seven-plus years as uh, second-in-command in in Egypt, uh, storing and distributing grain during the time of the famine. So those years of abundance are over now, and they are into the years of famine. That famine has come not only to Egypt, but to the surrounding countries as well, including the land of Canaan, where Jacob and his other 11 sons have been living. We're told that when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? Go down and buy some food for us that we may live and not die. Nice, friendly father son exchange there, right? (laughs) You get the sense that this is still not a very happy family. So Jacob Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy grain, but he keeps Benjamin, the youngest, home with him because he's now the favorite. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he asked." And they get into this uncomfortable back-and-forth dialogue with Joseph accusing them of being spies, them denying it and trying to explain themselves. Joseph locks them up for a few days, maybe to to think about what he's going to do next. Then he proposes a test to see if they're telling the truth. He agrees to sell them the grain they need, but to hold one of the brothers hostage until they come back with their younger brother. Well, now the brothers are getting really uncomfortable, and they begin speaking to each other in their their native tongue. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Now, they didn't realize it, of course, but Joseph could understand every word they were saying. And and after being reminded of that awful moment of rejection and abandonment, and after realizing that his brothers, too, had been thinking about that moment for 20-some years, the whole thing is just too much for him. So we're told that he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. It's the first of seven times that Joseph is going to weep in this story. So the first lesson we learn here is that forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard. I mean, you can see how conflicted Joseph is. On the one hand, there there must have been some comfort in finally seeing some members of his family after all these years and learning that his father's still alive. At the same time, those 20 years of hurt and loneliness come crashing back over him. And while his brothers seem to be carrying some sense of guilt or remorse about what they've done, they they certainly aren't owning the moment. They're not confessing it or asking forgiveness. And now they want to do business with him. So what's Joseph supposed to do? Now, up until this moment, Joseph has always seemed to be entirely capable and unflappable. And suddenly, he seems to be overwhelmed by this moment, by the emotion and the circumstances. Forgiveness is hard. We should probably pause at this moment and, and, and define what forgiveness actually means. though well, That's hard to do because there's, there's many layers to it. But the dictionary says that to forgive is to stop feeling resentful or angry towards someone for an offense or to cancel a debt. (laughs) Makes it sound so simple, doesn't it? Uh, Remember that person I asked you to think of, the person who who wronged you? Just stop feeling resentful. (laughs) I'm guessing it's not as easy as that. Forgiveness is hard. Whenever I preach on forgiveness... Many times over the years. Every time I have people coming to me in the lobby afterwards. You remember lobbies? It's the place people meet after services. Whenever I preached on forgiveness, people would come to me and say, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. And that so-and-so may turn out to be a spouse or or a parent or a, a business partner or a church member. or or even a so-called friend. And often they're telling me the story with with tears in their eyes, with pain, or or with anger. Forgiveness is easy to define, but hard to do. Many of us have been reading Latasha Morrison's book this summer, Be the Bridge. Now, I know there's a lot of challenging material there that we're all still processing. And some of us may be struggling with portions of it. That's okay. But I found the chapter on forgiveness to be especially insightful and convicting. She shares some very personal stories of her journey or struggle towards forgiveness, trying to, give, trying to forgive her mom for years of hurt and neglect and even abandonment, trying to forgive a church leader who betrayed her trust. And most difficult of all, trying to forgive Dylan Roof, the self-proclaimed white supremacist who shot and killed nine members of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, not too many years ago. Each of those people, in different ways, had, had caused her great harm and heartache. And in each case, she found herself struggling with anger and bitterness and resentment, anxiety attacks, chest pains, and difficulty connecting with God. Forgiveness is hard. It was hard for Joseph, and it's hard for us. Which leads us to our second lesson, which is that forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes time. Chapters 43 and 45 describe a couple of back-and-forth trips from Egypt to Canaan. Joseph sends nine of the brothers back with the sacks of grain they purchased, but he has one of his stewards return the money they paid and he hides it in their sacks. When, when When they discover this has happened, they and their father are terrified about what this might mean for them. JACOB IS SO AFRAID OF LOSING ANY MORE SONS THAT HE REFUSES TO LET THEM GO BACK AGAIN. SO MORE TIME PASSES, THE FAMINE GETS WORSE, AND FINALLY JACOB HAS NO CHOICE BUT TO SEND HIS BROTHERS BACK WITH BENJAMIN, THE YOUNGEST, FOR MORE GRAIN. ONCE AGAIN THERE ARE THESE SURPRISING BUT UNCOMFORTABLE EXCHANGES BETWEEN JOSEPH AND THE BROTHERS. He eventually sends them back home again with grain, but once again returns their money and hides his silver cup in one of their sacks of grain. They discover it halfway home, so they turn around and come back again to Egypt and try to explain themselves to Joseph. All this to say, many, many months pass, and many miles are traveled as they make this journey back and forth as they make their journey towards some kind of reconciliation. So we'll talk a minute in a minute about what happened during that back-and-forth time, but for now I simply want to make the point that, that this Joseph story illustrates forgiveness takes time. They say that uh, time heals all wounds. I don't think that's really true exactly, I mean, certainly time can heal some wounds. Time helps heal wounds. But, but there are some wounds that, that time can never heal. They're just too deep. But time can play an important role in the forgiveness journey. In those lobby conversations that I have with people after services, I will often end up telling them that it's okay not to get to forgiveness right away. So sometimes, sometimes you shouldn't get to forgiveness right away. Sometimes the hurt has been so great, the, the evil has been so great that to rush to forgiveness almost trivializes and, and, and minimizes the pain and the wrong that's been done. And so that's where lament comes in. The church has been rediscovering the the spiritual practice of lament in recent years, in part in response to the social justice issues that we're all facing, but also in response to our own personal sin and brokenness. The Psalms remind us, Jesus reminds us, that there's a time to mourn, a time to sit in sackcloth and ashes, a time to weep and grieve, over our sin and the world's sin. You see, you can't forgive something until you've named it, until you've identified the wrong that's been done and been experienced, until you've acknowledged the sin and evil behind it, not just just naming it, but actually feeling it and perhaps owning your participation in it. In the case of the Mother Emmanuel shootings, some members of that church found themselves ready and willing to forgive immediately and, and, and publicly. Now, others in the black community struggled to get there, including Latasha Morrison. They felt like they needed more time to get there, and they resented some of the pressure they were feeling, even from the judge who was administering the case. To, to, to quickly get to compassion and forgiveness. Now, Latasha says she eventually got there, but, but it took time. So as we continue pursuing racial healing and, and justice and restoration in the church and in our culture, we, we, we can't rush to, to solutions or to, to simplistic answers and, or to even easy apologies. We need to take time to lament what's happened, to name it and feel it, and even own the wrongs that we may have participated in. Only then can we begin to move towards real repentance and healing and restoration. And the same thing is true when it comes to our personal wrongs as well. If you find yourself struggling to forgive someone, that's okay. It may take some time but it will also take something more than time. Something has to happen during that time. And that leads to our third lesson from Joseph's story, which is that forgiveness takes a change of heart. Forgiveness takes a change of heart. Some amazing things happen in the hearts of Joseph and his brothers during these months of back-and-forth dialogue and and back-and-forth traveling. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the details, but let me just call out a few examples. When Joseph invites his brothers to dinner, he intentionally gives Benjamin the largest portions, five times as much falafel, or whatever it was they were eating at the time. He's testing them. He's showing favoritism to the youngest brother. He he wants to see if they're going to resent him the way they resented him so many years early. And apparently, they seemed to pass the test. And then look what happens to Judah. Judah was the older brother, whose idea it was, actually, to sell Joseph into slavery. When Jacob is reluctant to let Benjamin go back with them to Egypt for fear of losing him, Judah speaks up. Send the boy along with me, he says, and I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. And later on, when Joseph demands that that Benjamin be held hostage until the brothers come back with their father, Judah steps up again and says, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Talk about a change of heart. This is the brother who didn't give a lick about his father's feelings or his kid brother's welfare 20 years ago. And now he's ready to give up himself on their behalf. But there's not just this change in the heart of the brothers. There's a change in the heart of Joseph as well. Joseph could easily have lorded it over his brothers. He could easily have punished them for what they'd done. He could have demanded that they get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. Instead, he sets up this series of tests. Not not to punish them, but to give them time to reflect on all that's happened. To give them an opportunity to grow beyond the greed and the hatred and the jealousy of their younger days. After all these years waiting for his dreams to be fulfilled, suddenly Joseph seems a whole lot more interested in the reunion of his family than he does with having people bow down to him. And so when they returned the second time with Benjamin, Joseph sat down to eat with them. He asked them how they were. And then he said, How is your father you told me about? As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother? God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. Don't miss Joseph's reference to God there in verse 29. It's one of nine references to God in these couple of chapters. That's more than all the chapters leading up to this moment. So it's clear that God is at work in their hearts because only God can bring about this this kind of healing, this kind of humility, this kind of transformation. And that's what Latasha Morrison found as she made her long and winding road towards forgiveness as well. It began in her sophomore year of college, she said, when, when she gave her life to Christ. She says that God gave her the grace first to open up to her mother about her pain and her disappointment. And over time, she found God giving her compassion and even forgiveness towards her mother. When it came time to forgive that church leader, it was the council of, of friends who, who pointed her to the scripture, to the Psalms, to the words of Jesus. And in the case of Mother Emmanuel Church, as she remembered Jesus forgiving her, his executioners, she found herself beginning to be able to forgive as well. So if, if you're struggling to forgive someone, don't just let time pass, hoping that, that the pain will go away, that maybe you or they will somehow get over it. It takes more than time. Invite God into your experience. Go to the scriptures and and search them out. Talk to Christian friends or counselors. Ask for grace from God to forgive those who have sinned against you just just as Christ has forgiven you. Someone rightly reminded me this week that the Joseph story has always had great resonance in the black church, for some obvious reasons. It's the story of a man forcibly taken from his family and his homeland, shipped off to a foreign country, subjugated by fellow human beings, mistreated, living under suspicion, falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned having to overcome all kinds of obstacles and inequities, trying to make their way as a minority person in a dominant culture. It's an all-too-familiar narrative. So we haven't been able to unpack all of that in this series, but surely there are lessons here for the church. As we set about to do the hard work of of racial healing and and justice and, and restoration... It's gonna take a work of grace in in all of our hearts. Grace to to hear each other, to to understand each other, to, to, to name the wrongs, to lament them, to own our participation in them. And when the time is right, when we've done the hard work to extend and receive forgiveness. It's a long and winding road with many fits and starts. But the church needs to lead the way because only Christ can, only Christ can change our hearts. He can show us the way, and he, and he will if we'll let him to do it. Well, that leads to our next lesson, which is that forgiveness takes a decision. It takes a decision. At a certain point, forgiveness has to be offered and received. The climactic scene in the story unfolds in chapter 45. As they're seated at dinner, after hearing Judah offer himself up to to save his brother Benjamin, we're told that Joseph just lost it. He sends all his attendants out of the room, and and he begins to weep so loudly that it's, it's heard through the whole palace. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, we don't know what Joseph had been planning in his head, if he had some dramatic reveal moment for his brother's. But at a certain point, he decided that this journey had gone on long enough. And without them even asking for it, he extends to them forgiveness. Don't beat yourself up about it anymore, he says. And a few verses later we read, And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brother talked with him. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have heard that conversation? Now, we're going to find out in a minute, they're not all the way there yet, but that day, that moment, they began moving towards forgiveness. This past week, I was walking through the, the building over in Lexington, and, and I happened to walk past one of the Kids Town kiosks, and for some reason, I looked up and noticed that There was a poster on there from from back in March when we went into shutdown. It turns out that the virtue of the month in the month of March for Kidstown was forgiveness. And they defined it this way. Forgiveness is deciding that someone who has wronged you doesn't have to pay. I think that's pretty good. I think it's way better than Google's definition, frankly. Deciding that someone who has wronged you doesn't have to pay. At a certain point, we decide to release somebody from their debt to us, from what they did to us. We don't have to punish them. We don't have to expose them. We don't have to cancel them. We don't have to get even with them. We don't have to prove that they were wrong. We simply let them go. We we let it go and leave it in God's hands. Now, we may not get there all in one moment, as we're going to find out with Joseph, but at a certain point, we decide to begin moving toward forgiveness. Latasha Morrison describes it this way, as she decided to forgive that church leader who had betrayed her so badly. She says, When I ran into a member of my former congregation, I spoke forgiveness under my breath. When I felt a rush of anger rise out of the blue, I prayed for the strength to forgive. I practiced and practiced and practiced forgiveness. And as I did, my anger and resentment faded. My bitterness turned to compassion. It took a while, but she got there, and it began with a decision. Now, a couple of qualifiers. Qualifiers. Does forgiveness mean that we have to forget what someone did to us? Not necessarily. Sometimes we can't forget what they did. Sometimes we shouldn't forget what they did. We just decide that they no longer have to pay for it. And does forgiveness mean that you have to trust someone again? Not necessarily. If someone has cheated you in a business deal, you can forgive them but you don't have to go into business with them a second time around. Forgiveness is simply deciding that someone who has wronged you doesn't have to pay. Now, as it turns out, the story doesn't actually end there in chapter 45. There are five more chapters to go. Joseph sends the brothers home again, back to Canaan to fetch their father and bring him back. There's another reunion, this time between father and a long-lost son. Pharaoh offers Jacob and his family some of the finest grazing land in Egypt where they will settle down, ride out the famine, and await their ultimate deliverance and return to Canaan many, many generations later. Now Jacob eventually dies, and at that point the brothers begin to panic They're afraid now that their father is gone that that Joseph might suddenly seek vengeance on them. And so they come up with a story about how their father's dying wish was that Joseph would forgive them. They throw themselves at Joseph's feet and say, we are your slaves. You see, they still don't get it. They still think they have to pay. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. In that moment, when the full truth finally comes out, when the whole story is told and understood and they face it, then in that moment they can finally and fully extend and receive forgiveness. And in that moment, They're free. The brothers are free of their guilt and remorse and their fear of punishment. Joseph is free of his anger and his feelings of rejection and isolation. They're free to be themselves with each other. They're imperfect but forgiven selves. They're free to be a family again, free to fulfill God's purpose for them again. That's the final lesson we learn here from Joseph's story. Forgiveness sets us free. Sets us free from our own sins and failures. Sets us free from our debts to God and each other. Sets us free to begin becoming the people and the families and the church and even the society that God intends us to be. Is there someone you need to set free? Someone who has hurt you wronged you? Do you need to be set free from anger and resentment you've been carrying around with you for a long time? Forgiveness is the only way. It's hard. It will probably take time. It will definitely take a work of grace as God changes your heart and theirs, perhaps, But you can decide today to begin the journey toward forgiveness, toward freedom, trusting Jesus to show you the way. Because as we discovered on the first week in this series, the Joseph story is also the Jesus story. Born with great promise, admired by many, but rejected by his own. He resists every temptation, and does only what is right and good, but then somehow is falsely accused, badly treated, wrongfully convicted. But in a critical moment, he trusts himself into God's hands. He forgives those who have wronged him and rises to offer forgiveness and freedom to everyone who will come to him. That's the Jesus story, and Joseph prefigures it for us. So have you ever done that? Have you come to Jesus to ask for and receive forgiveness? If you've never done that, that's your first step on this journey towards forgiving others, towards finding freedom. If you've never done that, if you'd like to, to talk about what your next step might be on this journey, please reach out to me. Send me an email, brian with a Y at grace.org. I'd love to get a conversation started with you. Well, it's been quite a journey we've been on with Joseph this summer, hasn't it? We have followed him through almost every variety of human experience. Great promise, great disappointment, family dysfunction, hard times, personal injustice, the daily grind, moments of opportunity. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the interesting thing is that in all of these chapters, not one time has God appeared or spoken directly to Joseph. Not once. Now, God appeared many times and spoke many times to Joseph's forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again and again and again. But not once in 14 chapters does God directly appear to or speak to Joseph. And yet, as we've discovered, as we've made our way through, God has been with Joseph through every one of these experiences. Not only with Joseph, but working with Joseph, working behind the scenes, working with the people and circumstances around to do something good for Joseph, to do something good for his family and even for the wider world. And God can do the same with our lives as well if we let him. The Joseph story teaches us that God is with us for good, through all the experiences of life.